welcome to the last triathlete hour episode before the Olympics. For our final Olympian interview, we're chatting with Kevin McDowell, the cancer survivor and ice cream aficionado. Now, you might not know Kevin's name, but you should. He's been racing triathlon since he was a kid and had some impressive junior results. But the day after his first pro race at 18, he was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma. He tells us all about how it took him years to finally hit his stride and try after he recovered, how he thinks he tried to come back too fast and it caused him more issues, and how his body requires extra love and attention now. That's why he's ice cream almost every night. Plus, he has an ice cream shop as a sponsor. Kevin also gives us the inside scoop on what to expect in the Tokyo race and in the new and exciting Mixed Relay. But before we chat with Kevin, Laura Sadal and I give you a breakdown of the individual Olympic races, our picks, and a preview of what to look for. It all starts this weekend. All of that after this break. Power your next adventure with Outside Plus. Our Outside Plus membership gives you access not just to exclusive triathlete content, but to content across all our network brands like Backpacker, Velo News, Outside Magazine, and Trail Runner. With an annual membership, you get two magazine subscriptions, two Velo Press books, a library of resources like yoga journal meditation classes and clean eating meal plans, gear and event discounts, access to Gaia GPS dozens of training plans through today's plan software and a free finisher picks package each year all for just 99 dollars. this is the world's best resource for training nutrition know-how and how to join at triathlete.com backslash outside plus that's outside plus one word dot com All right, Sid is joining us again for Sid Talks for our Olympics preview. While you're preparing for the Paralympics, right? You have your first big uh, guiding race tomorrow. Yeah, it's the um, it's the British champs uh, down at Eton Dorney Lake, so it's a good chance, I think, for a lot of the the para athletes to get out for a hit out um, before Tokyo. And but also, it's meant to be like a really fun festival event where also actually they can. Um, get a lot of newcomers into the sport and welcome like some para athletes in. So, um, yeah, I'm, well, I've had a really busy day today that I feel like I've driven half the country. So I've not actually thought about the race yet, (laughs) but, and I also had like my COVID jab this week. So I'm double, I've got, had my two vaccines and PCR out at the moment as well. So yeah, but it should be, it should be good fun even, and just to be, in with the mix and in with crowd, like there's lots of excitement building now. I've been in Loughborough all week working with the Paris squad. So that's been, it's been really good. We're going to have to get more like about how para, how it works, what it's like guiding. Because the Paralympics actually doesn't start for a long time. It's like weeks after the Olympics ends. It's like literally a whole, yeah. it's about four weeks. Yeah, it's a whole month after, I think. Oh, after the start. So I think it starts yeah. around... The, the, the end of August. The time, but end of August. Yeah, I know Paralympic triathlons like sort of that twenty eighth of August type date. I think probably should know. That's no, some... yeah, it's a month after yeah. the Olympics, and the Olympics start Friday. Actually, yeah! actually starting. We hope. We hope. We hope. <laughs> we think. <laughs> might all go. To... <laughs> We're pretty sure at this point. Like people are on the ground there, so people are, there, people are out there. Yep. 
it is super funny though that i mean there's no i'm not we didn't send anybody uh because of like media restrictions. So we have this one reporter we work with who lives in Tokyo and I'm like, go down to the water and tell me if it looks dirty. <laughs> like, because you want to like, otherwise how are you supposed to report things on the ground? You know? I know, it's so hard. And I think a lot of pictures are, uh, are kind of just pictures out of hotel windows. Cause obviously there's quite a lot of restrictions when you're there. Although I did see the, the um, so the British triathlon team, they've gone out to a holding camp in Miyazaki and it, they've got a, quite a lot of um freedom there after sort of initial three days and they were i think i saw pictures of them down on the beach and doing open water swims it looks a little bit cleaner than potentially the tokyo uh, the tokyo water as well <laughs> yeah i mean that's we're gonna have a story about that this week too but it is kind of i spent a lot of time looking into this and trying to get on the ground reporting uh the technology that's gone into it they have a barrier like a permeable barrier around the bay to keep out bacteria Oh and then God. it wasn't keeping out enough, so they put two more layers of barrier. But now that's why it's getting so hot, because the water then isn't flowing in and out. <sighs> yeah. So then, to solve that problem, they have these generators that will churn off the water and, like, like flow it around, like in a fish tank. So do they get too hot? Race, yeah. So we have like a, a a current and a bit of chop during the during the swim. No, they'll do it. They'll do it like beforehand <laughs> if it gets over twenty eight degrees Celsius. But this is this is why this is it's look, I'm super excited and touch wood, everything goes as well as it could go. But I just think what in a normal year with COVID hadn't happened the last couple of years, this Olympics with what the Japanese can do as a a nation of hosts, of hospitality, of the entertainment, and then like you said, the technology side, I think it would have just blown up. And I feel I still think it will. I think we'll just get some of the things they're going to do is going to be amazing, but it will be harder to probably see and appreciate the levels of what the Olympics could have been in, in Tokyo and Paralympics. Yeah. Yeah, it's probably true. And you're going to, and you end up getting like in this case, like distorted kind of like what one person sees or says becomes what yeah. we all, because there's just not enough people there to really get like a alternative yeah. point of view. So, yeah. But we're still excited. And uh, so the Olympics start on Friday. The triathlon events are local time. They are 6.30 a.m. Monday and Tuesday. Yes. But that means that they're really, in the U.S., they're Sunday and Monday afternoon. It's Correct. like 5.30 East Coast time, yes. Sunday and Monday. Yes. yes. And for the European listeners, that makes it, the men's is Sunday night, 10.30 UK, 11.30 Europe, Central Europe. And so the women is Monday night, 10.30, 11.30. Yes. Yeah, we have perfect viewing time. I was like, yes, yeah, great. This is easy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Technically, I do in Spain as well, because Spain is like, you know, 11.30 is still early in Spain on, yeah. on an evening. Right. So, um, yeah. It'd be right. you, haven't, you haven't had dinner yet. Yeah, <laughs> no, exactly. <laughs> But it is, uh, we will also be doing a like preview show with USA Triathlon on Facebook Live. And I'm going to be doing the women's commentary because Sid, as you know, we both, I feel like we know everything about the women's race. Like so yeah. excited about the women's race. I feel like we should preview it right now. Um, all right. So I will put links in the show notes and stuff, but I feel like the general conception or the general agreement, and I've talked to a lot of athletes about this, is the women's race will probably be a breakaway on the bike. Yes. Probably. Yes. 
I think they're going to try. Yeah, I think that would be the right, the smart thing to do for the women. There's a bunch, like, yeah, we know it's going to be different to Leeds, but I think there's a group of swimmers that have that potential and will want to distance themselves. And you've got the likes of, like, the Jess Learmouth, obviously, Georgia Taylor-Brown, Flora Duffy. Then if we, yeah, look at the Maya Kingmas in there as well. And I think they've all got the the power on the bike to follow on from a, a lead out in the swim, I think. I think, I mean, obviously like my money hands down is on Flora winning. Yeah. Um, I think, I think most of us think she's the favorite, yeah. but for sure her move is a breakaway on the bike and with a small group uh, that she can make happen and then outrun them. Yeah. Uh, the big question is what kind of shape is Katie Zafaris in? I think that's yeah. like the big open question because Katie will like probably come out of the water ahead of floor and like try to get away from her. You know what I mean? Like there's, and I think we just don't know right now, given, you know, and Katie's opened up about this a lot, like her dad dying, right. Going into the qualifying races this, uh, this spring and like her massive, like she massively underperformed there. Like she knows that we all know that, but now she's had like a good training block since then and a lot more stability. And so oh. if we see, you know, 2019 Katie's affair is that's going to be hard yeah. to beat. Yeah. And like, you know, probably just the pressure lifted off her. Mm-hmm. With, with, like you said, with everything that's happened for her personally, getting that selection spot. So the last four or five weeks, she's probably been able to just have that release of being able to go out and enjoy it and get the training done. Um, and it will be a case of, yeah, where she comes out of that swim pack. I mean, Flora had a Flora had a pretty good swim in Leeds, but obviously Lucy just pulled them off the front. Right. But then she, you know, and then Flora rode back up. So yeah, it just depends where Katie's going to come out. And if it also is always like hilarious to me when we say like so and so is not a good swimmer. No, I mean, to be clear, like they're all really good swimmers. <laughs> they're all really good swimmers. Um, yeah, and so that yeah, it is an unknown. We just don't know where. Katie is going to be. We don't know where Katie is going to be. I think the other wild card is, and Georgia Taylor Brown, we haven't seen since Hamburg in the fall. Yeah. And I, you know, not to, to what's the word, dwell in, in gossip and rumor, but the general understanding is she's been slightly injured, yeah. nursing a niggle for sure. And no one is really sure how injured or what she's going to look like. And if Georgia Taylor Brown is on form, like, she won the Tokyo test of, well, she got DQ'd, but she, they won the Tokyo <laughs> test event and they got DQ'd. Uh, she won Hamburg. Like she looks good when she's yeah. on. Um, I, I think so, if, yeah, she we'll is, if she's fully fit and I don't know anything either, um, I think like between her and Flora, it's a pretty tough. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, wouldn't it be awesome? You see like a three-way, well, I would like to see Jess Limith up there as well. But what a three-way race, like Flora, Georgia Taylor-Brown, Katie, if they were all on their top form running down, running, battling it out over the 10K together. I mean, I'd love to see Jess Learmouth in there because I just think she can, I think she could hurt some people on the run. She might not have it, the killer legs at the finish that those girls have on the run, but I think she would certainly be pushing the pace because she knows she probably doesn't have that kick. And I think she'll be looking to hurt people on the swim and the bike as much as she can. Oh, that is literally and- my podium. What you just said was my, yeah. is my podium. Flora, yeah. uh, Georgia, Georgia, Katie, 
And then yeah. maybe Jess, if Katie isn't like on form, that's pretty much, those are yeah. my picks you're picking. But, it's, but then you go like, do you think they're going to do team dynamics? So do you right. think like Jess, would Jess maybe work, work for Georgia? I don't think those two are working for each other in any no, way. I, I'm not, I'm just saying, is that, you know, would that potentially come into play? Um, yeah, it's going to be. Yeah, I, I think you also have wild cards here. Obviously, we ought to acknowledge wild cards like Summer Rappaport. Well, she won't be in a bike breakaway, but she can run her way up. She's proven yeah. she can run her way up. Uh, Taylor Niv, like, could like she obviously can get into a bike breakaway. And if one of those ones takes off with like Flora and Jessica Smith yeah. uh, and Maya Kingma, like Ma- Taylor could be in that. And yeah. Maya Kingma again, like, I mean, sure, you could say Yokohama and Leeds were flukes, but she looks strong at both of them. She will also be trying to get into that breakaway. So look it twice at world like level, world <laughs> level. I don't know. <laughs> like I don't know. I mean, the only thing I'd, I think I said before with Maya, and I don't think this would be case. Like she's had those two big races as success, sort of almost like out of not out of nowhere because it's never overnight success. But you know, burst onto the scene this year. Ish, can she cope with like that additional the pressure? Pressure, yeah. yeah. And then under 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 a big race when you've suddenly got Flora back and mm-hmm. the big guns all back and it's Olympic. But you know, maybe that's maybe that yeah. You know who we also and we were just talking about this, we who we also <laughs> haven't really been paying attention to, but who consistently, on the other hand, you don't see and then at the big races performs, Nicholas Spearig. Nobody was paying attention to her going into Rio. She got second. 2012 she got third like she just always kind of like you don't you forget about her and then she's there yeah no she won didn't she in 2012 not third Did she? i thought she was third maybe i missed read that she and won spirit Did won. She? didn't she oh man they're like didn't she should we cut this no no she yeah, yeah I don't, anyway it's <laughs> <laughs> spirit that beat lisa norden by a vest uh... in london only thing I ever remember is that Sarah Sarah True got out kicked for fourth at the yeah. end there, and that it was yeah. like the four of them, and I always felt bad for her. Yeah, yeah, no, and then Spirig won in London, and <sighs> beat Lisa Norden in the sprint finish, and then came back in Rio to defend, but got beat, but and was running, and like you said, everyone had written her off because her swim wasn't mm-hmm. good enough. Again, we say relatively, she broke her hand that year as well. And then she came out of the water in Rio in the front pack of the swim and everyone went, oh, shit, Um, (laughs) because the bike course was really tough. And then she was running neck and neck with Gwen Jorgensen saying, well, you need to go. I've already got my gold medal. You need to go and push the pace. (laughs) Right, right, right. Um, And yeah, like if you look at what she's raced this year, again, like she's been winning half distances. She's been winning World Cup sprint distances. She's so versatile but i and i think the fact that no one is hugely talking about her will play totally into her hands with brett sutton i'm sure he's like lapping it up going this is brilliant no one's just like i mean she can't necessarily fly fly under the radar but nobody's really put her in like no she always can can perform on the on the race big day and it's the olympics and if she oh yeah if she has that swim that puts her in the front pack, which I don't think on paper she should necessarily should if, you, again, you compare kind of relative swim times, but she did in Rio and she's more than capable. We've seen in like 
she was beating some of the the known world, like world triathlon series swimmers in the half distance races that she's been doing. And then if she's out, she's another one that would be great in a bike pack breakaway because she's so strong. Yeah, you don't want her pulling the rest of the pack back. That's what you don't want. No. I do not see the women's race being one massive pack that comes into T2. Like, I don't see that happening. Whereas, and we can move on to the men now. The men, it is going to be. Let's not too much. Forget about the men. (laughs) But I think the men will be a big pack. It will be a mass. I do, like, it's go, I mean, you know, you never know what's going to happen. Anything can happen in Olympic racing, but it will be a big pack that comes into T2 and it will be a running race. Then it'll just be a question of like where you're positioned and how many matches you burned. Right. Like yeah. that's pretty much the deal. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and again, like the big question is no idea what shape Vincent Louis is in. No idea. We haven't seen him no. since like the fall. I mean, we, I guess that's not true. We did see him at Yokohama, but he was like, I don't remember yeah. eighth, ninth. It was like it was just sort of like, eh. yeah. He and was he probably training pretty hard. Yeah, and then he pulled out a lead. And then there's been very little on social media, but I did see some. I have seen some pictures of late of him back running on the track with the squad. So you kind of go, okay, well he's hopefully maybe those are old pictures. Maybe he's just trying yeah, to mess with your head. True. This is true. <laughs> <laughs> maybe it's superimposed on like right. I mean, um, the whole thing, right, is like if the Olympics were last year, he would have been the hands down favorite, but the Olympics yeah. weren't last year. So, yeah, totally. Oh, well. Yeah. I mean, I think you've got like, I mean, if it's coming down to a running race, you can't, it's going to be hard again, depending what matches, but like, um, Obviously, and now my um, my mind's gone blank. You can't, you can't think of the name of Alex Yee. Uh, yeah, if it comes down, if it comes down to a running race, it's going to be Alex Yee and Morgan Pearson. Like end of discussion. Morgan Pearson and Alex Yee and getting their names mashed together and couldn't think of either of them. So yes, I think. But I also think in with that, like my wild card is Hayden Wild as well because I think if he's in a position, he he can run similar. 5k times if to alex and i think the battle between those two i was listening to a podcast he, which was mm-hmm. chatting with hayden he's really excited about like the potential battle over the next couple of years between alex Yee and hayden they're both kind of similar age they're both got you know coming through but i think yeah if it's a running race morgan and alex are probably gonna be i mean morgan and alex are the class of the field when it comes to running like and they proved that uh in leeds and to a degree in yokohama um so yeah if they're anywhere near the front like they're gonna medal uh and my like i mean my personal money is for like and i i also just like like him uh is on morgan meddling like i think he is very on form Hayden's interesting because the problem with the New Zealanders and the Australians is we haven't seen them in 18 months. They haven't raced outside their home country. We like don't really know what's going on down there. They like made up fake races against each other. I'm uh, there's a nicer way to put that, but that's what they were doing. And so we don't really know how that's going to translate now. We like just don't. That's Um, it. And I mean, the other thing, like we said, we don't know what you can never, I don't, I don't think you can ever, yeah, I mean, and that's the thing. Like Jake Burt, Jake Burt Whistle is one of the best runners in the sport as well. But again, we don't know what kind of shape he's in coming off the back of of being in we, yeah Australia. But in I, Australia, I, yeah. And the other thing, I just think you can't necessarily write off Blumenfeld Christian. No, no. I mean, the, the, there are some staples here yeah. with like Mario Mola is like it's like weird how you always forget about him. Not yeah. you people, he, but like world champion. 
he's always there. Christian Blumenfeld has proven not just like that he is willing to try whatever on the bike. He'll just like do shit. Yeah. Like, why not? Yeah. He's also smart is what I'm looking for. Like, yeah. I don't know if you were paying attention yeah. to Yokohama, but he like out strategized uh, Yelly Jens, whose name I can never say right. Yeah. Uh, and, and there were some words exchanged. There was there yeah. was some. <laughs> yeah, it was a little it was a little attitude. <laughs> And that's where I feel like also someone like um, Javier Gomez, like he's not, he's not been in the four. Well, I think he's probably still been in great form, but whether the rest of the sports moved on, I don't know. Um, But his racing tactics and his strategy, I think, although it's hard because he missed out on Rio as well. So we had a um, interview with him this week and like, for sure, he's still, and, you know, I mean, I obviously every athlete is going to say this or not going to, but he still thinks he can medal. He still wants to medal. He's like, fuck it. Like, I'm not, I'm the old I, guy, but I'm not that old. Like, I, and I think like, if you look at his pedigree, he's fully capable of taking a shot at the medal as well. And like you said, he's a smart racer, like though, like Christian, like in those Norwegians, I think he would be in with a chance. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Brownlee is also still in there, Johnny, not Alistair. And so you have to like, again, he's a similar to like Javier. It's like, yes, is he really on form? Was his peak past him? Like maybe, but he delivers in big races. So you can't like ignore that he delivers in big races. And, and then that's, and then throw in like the Belgians. I think they're like secretly thinking they've got a good team with Yelly Greens and Martin Van Riel. I mean, I think they're both kind of in there, nothing to lose. They know, they know a lot of the athlete, you know, they train with Vincent and right. there's a big Amar- molar. And so there's a big squad of those that they can use each other, but also then they know each other's weaknesses when it comes to the final, final kick. I always wonder how that plays out when you have a squad like the squad oh. you were just referencing, which like is an international squad. And then you all go up against each other at a race I mean, you have to know, like, oh, well, I always outkick him on the track, or like, oh, he doesn't do well with like bursts or whatever, like surge yeah. it. Like, how much does that come into play? Do they mess with each other's heads? I think they do. I think they do. Yeah, I think they definitely do. Yeah. <laughs> I think um, I think Alistair and Johnny did, and they're brothers. Like, I think Alistair would take full ad- full advantage of any weakness. You know, if it came when it when those two were so dominant, and it would come down to like a sprint or a run just between the two of them. For sure, Al- Alistair would be like seeking every bit of weakness that Johnny shows from either training or racing, and just to just to pounce. <laughs> like, oh, right. yeah, the men's race is interesting because and don't the think time it's, it, it's not going to break up, and the times tend to be a lot closer. Like, it is like a much narrower. Often, it's getting not to be the case as much. Um, but for sure, it will come down to a sprint, like a hundred percent. The top ten will be divided like by a minute or something like that. Um, yeah. The other factor that we haven't really talked about because it is so funny, like COVID's all we talk about now with the Olympics. But back before COVID, the thing everyone was talking about was how hot it was going to be and humid, uh, which is why they're racing at six thirty in the morning. And there are some people who do do better in that heat, right? That is why a lot of a lot of countries use the Tokyo test event or the Yokohama race as they're selecting races, not so much because of quality of field, but because if you can perform well in those conditions, 
it bodes well. And when you think about who won Tokyo Test Event, Tyler Milicicek, who I can never say his name, from Canada, won that because he does well in the heat. Like, Summer Rappaport locked her spot down because she did well in the heat in Tokyo. So there's people who, like, you might not think about, but they, like, perform well in those conditions. Yeah, that's right. And I think it's, you know, it's... (laughs) You know, we talk about Kona every year. Kona is very specific conditions. And so there are certain athletes that will always perform well there. There are other athletes that are the best, one of the best in the world, but just can't perform under the conditions in Kona. But that doesn't make them any less. And I think you're right. We're going to see who, and it doesn't really matter how much training you do, whether you've been doing heat acclimatization or, or altitude, it's, on the day um i mean i thought you were going to go down the path of going um the other thing that we're not sure about with the olympics this year is there could be any number of those athletes or teams that get positive tests in the next few days and weeks and they're not on the start line and just it's being an olympics and it always brings out the best performances or you just hope everyone gets around safely and nothing happens yeah Nobody yeah. really knew who Jan Ferdino was when he won. I mean, some people did, but you know what yeah. I mean. It was yeah. it was a surprise, generally yeah. speaking. And now he's like the greatest of all time. So yeah, yeah. Well, mm-hmm. that that's the try battle royale cheeseburger, whatever it is that's happening this weekend. Yeah, I mean, by the time this airs, it'll have already happened, but it's a whole nother topic. Yeah. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> all right. Well, we will be back next week after the individual races to break them down and give you a preview of the relay coming up uh, where I will argue passionately for the Americans and Laura will tell me why the Brits are going to yeah. come out on top. <laughs> we'll both argue why we're going to beat the French and the Belgians. Exactly. <laughs> I can't believe that the next time we speak, though, well, obviously we'll speak before that, but the next time we speak doing a podcast, the, the races will have been done. I know. It's mental. It's weird. A couple of the people told, or like Olympic people told me that was what, fi- like when COVID kicked in, was the day after what would have been the race. Cause they were yeah. like, oh, I would have been done by now. Yeah. And I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. so. I just realized as well, I need to get my Olympic planning, viewing, scheduling, like, yeah, like sorted. I mean, it's been exciting the last week here. Just, well, let's not talk about the football. I don't care about the result, England, whatever. They did an amazing job, I think, personally. The fans are absolute disgrace. No idea what you're talking about, but it's fine. But yeah, but then there's been Wimbledon as well. And then there's been like European athletics and Gateshead. And it's been actually like, there's been loads on TV. And it was something like, oh my God, it's actually like summer of sport again. It's like, this is exciting. And then like all the build up now to the Olympics. Is super exciting. We will have lots of viewing guides. We will have links to the cycling guides, the track guides. We'll have a, I'm making all the editor in chiefs of the different publications in our company pick like their must watch event for their sport. Oh, so we'll have a guide for that. Yay. Uh, so yeah, we'll have all kinds of things. So get excited. Make sure we tune in to you guys. <laughs> <laughs> all right. We'll be back next week. Thanks, Sid. Thank you. All right, this week we're talking to Kevin McDowell, who was named to the Olympic team. Oh, it was almost two weeks ago now. And so you were named via like the discretionary spot. Is that do they call you up beforehand and tell you you're going to be named? Is that stressful? Are you like waiting for a phone call in the morning? How does it work? 
Yeah. So at first they were kept changing the final selection process and when they were going to announce it to us internally. And then the public announcement was supposed to come out on that Wednesday. And then they said, oh, we'd probably hear the night before. And then we got an updated thing. They're like, no, we're going to call you at 6 to 7 a.m. in the morning. And the press release came out at 9 a.m. And so I was like, oh, man. And so I was like, oh, kind of hopeful, like maybe they'd give us a call on Tuesday night. But no. Right. And then it came like 9, 30, 10. And I was like, well, guys, they're not going to call me until the morning, no matter what. Because we're going to get a call whether we were selected, an alternate, right. or not selected at all. Um, so I didn't sleep much at night. I was pretty, I was like that little, like kind of that kid on Christmas, but also really nervous. Cause like I had good feelings, but you just never know. I mean, it's like, you're, it's, it's out of your control, but I felt like I put up a good showcase of like performances and done. I had no regrets with how I went about it. So that's where I could be somewhat relaxed, but yeah, I had my alarm set, like four alarms set before six. I was clearly up like hours before just kind of twirling my thumbs and he called that me. feels like cruel they definitely knew tuesday night like i know oh, yeah. they knew yeah i oh, told yeah. someone after and they're like oh, i wish i could have just sent him a note and i just said but he's like they can't like that's not like thing but he's like just to be like relax but it's like no they had it set and i think part of it was just to keep it so nothing leaked out or anything right or or maybe they have i mean i think it was it was a tough process of selection the last bit being a discretionary as well so i don't think it was so i think they had a lot of decisions to out the way through and put the make sure they've selected the right team in that moment. So yeah, when he called, he called me at 604, luckily. So very early in the window and it rang and I had my music playing. So I was trying to relax and I was like, Oh shoot. Hi, John. Sorry. Hold on. One minute, <laughs> trying to turn the music down. And then I give him a call and it was awesome. Cause he's like, Hey Kevin, uh, let's cut straight to the BS. Like you're on the team. And then he started talking. So it was like nice that it wasn't just like, Sometimes I've heard people have like gotten calls like this and they're beating around the bush and having like right. a conversation. It's like, we all know why you're calling. Let's just hear the answer. So <laughs> let's not talk about like the weather. No, <laughs> let's not talk about the weather right now where we're at. Like, let's say hi. And then get to the point. So you're probably right about leaking though. Cause if you, I, I heard by like seven 30 were like rumor had spread, you know? Yeah. So it leaked. It definitely leaked quickly. It leaked in. And so then he's like, he gave me a talk. He's like, you can tell people, but you need to make sure it doesn't go. And you have to, people you can trust. So I had this list of people that I did call. And every person I called, I was like, this is like so top. Like, you can't tell anyone. You tell people, <laughs> but you can't tell someone. They're like, but can I tell this person? I'm like, only this person through this, but that only your parent, like, that's it. Like no one else in this bit. And a couple people who I did was like a little bit more nervous. I waited literally until one minute before the announcement. So I could still tell them before, but also then be fine knowing if it leaked, it was going to be out in another minute. So that's so funny. So much drama. It's so stressful. Yeah. It was quite a whirlwind, but it was, and it was a whirlwind for a few days, but it was, it was exciting. Yeah. It was a good whirlwind. So. Right. Right. So what did you do to celebrate then? Yeah, well, we had like this Tokyo bike camp thing right after it. So it was actually pretty, that day was very hectic. Like it was a cool concept that UCT put together where we were like checking out the course and getting details and stuff. They flew a guy in to like give some analysis of things. But I, but it was like, at the, when I went to this thing, I was away from my phone for like seven hours. So it's like, mm -hmm. I come back and it's like every, it was just like, and we had media stuff in the morning right after the announcement with like the, all that kind of thing. So it was actually really nice because I was in Boulder. So Flora Duffy, her husband Dan, um, and a couple other uh, friends like Chelsea Burns, Joanna Brown, and Emily Kretz and a few others. Like we all just went over to their place and had pizza and just a good like time. And that was awesome because it just was like a way just to 
kind of disengage from everything, still be normal, but excited, but just also just hang out with like some peers and not have this all bombarding. Like the messages were so nice and over like amazing, but it was just like a little overwhelming. Overwhelming. Where do I start? And it's like, how do I go? So, right. And then obviously you're with people that kind of get it. And and I've seen the four of you together. There's a lot of gossiping and a lot of talking that happens. (laughs) We're all pretty chatty. So yeah, between the four of us, we don't shut up. So it was pretty funny. So it was a good, it was a good night and it was chill. And I was like, oh, this is kind of what I needed that bit. And then the next day I was still in Boulder and then I actually headed home that night and then got to be with my family. So because of just how the announcements and them holding it in and with this bike camp thing, I had to come to Boulder earlier than I planned because originally it would have been nice to uh, be at my family's house when I got the announcement. So, but right, I think it was right. on my call, so. <laughs> and obviously, I mean, the whole thing with the team being selected and everything was kind of how to balance the individual race and the relay. And I know you even said kind of you think you were picked particularly for your relay strength. So what are you really focusing on now between now and Tokyo? Are you like prepping for the relay specifically or for the individual race or kind of like, I was going to say both, but they're not like one's a 20 minute race and one's a two hour race. So they're different. They're different, but yeah, they're not because still in a way you just ultimately in the day for the relay, you have to be super fit. 20 minutes is still a duration. Like in triathlon lingo, it's like, man, this is the shortest event ever. But like a 5k for like the elites will be like, right. 12, 13 minutes. And it's like, it's almost more closer to that 10 K for like elite runners. Like it's still, and when you're in the running world, it's like fit 5 K still is pretty, like you have to be pretty aerobically fit and sound. Mm-hmm. So while the events are all very short, it's still this complete package of fitness that ultimately goes through. And um, so there's not too much I'm changing, just some little more like fine tuning stuff, like finding those extra seconds here and there, even like with transitions of a, a helmet that is like a magnetic strap and that kind of stuff. So it's like, and some more short power is what I'm working on with my coach right now. But we kind of had a plan in place that actually translates really well. Because some of my weaknesses before were like some of these punchiness, but we've ex- really exceeded that to where now I'm finding it's more almost a strength in some elements. So it's actually now coming full circle where we don't have to change too much, just some maybe of the fine tuning just to push the run envelope a little bit more and make some maybe hop on the track a few more times here and there. But I think the w- approach that we have going, I'll be prepared for both. And then, I mean, the benefit is like you and Morgan know you're going to be on the relay because there are only two guys. Yeah. So you're both going to do it. Whereas like the women aren't 100% sure like who's going to be on the team and who's not. Yeah, that's like one at least nice thing. Because I mean, I was pretty sad at first, like about the three spot situation because I was excited. <laughs> you were sad. I think there are some people who are not, who are sad it was only two now, you know? Yes. I was pretty gutted at first. And then I was like, oh man, how's this going to go? And you just don't know kind of thing. And it that was definitely quite a whirlwind that last final week. In the oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was mm-hmm. just like, I need to go and focus on myself. And you know, my coach, like Nate Wilson, he actually had one of the best lines I've ever gotten before, like in the Monksis. And he's like, um, hey, Kevin, like among the storm and all this chaos, there's always calm within the storm. He's like, you're ready. Go do this. And it was like, I was like, you're right. Because there was all this starting in the chaos and talk of like, we're going to lose our third spot. There's all this right. stuff you worked up in. But at the end of the day, I'm still prepared and ready and have one more opportunity to go show myself in Mexico. So I went in there with just like that young kid self of let's just have fun with this. I'm prepared and let's just go make stuff happen. And I felt like that final, like having some of like the statements that I made within that race helped my case as well. Oh yeah. Okay. For a second, I thought you were saying you were bummed when there were going to be three spots. And I was like, Kevin, no. oh my God, what the well, hell? No, no, no. I no. was bummed when we learned we were about to get two and I actually then discovered right. two right before the final race that I raced. And I had to like, yeah. 
vent it for a minute because I was just so fresh. Like it was just frustrating and disappointing because we were so mm-hmm. excited having this three. And then it's like, but I was nervous. And there were a lot of the counter offense, like things that happened that went out of our control, but other things could have been in our control. And at the end of the day, I was like, okay, what can I control on this final thing if we're going to have two spots? And so while it was like awesome then to get the news that I was selected, I was still gutted in the fact of just how it was now only two of us going. But yeah, for so. sure. For was sure. A, there was mixed emotions and it was tough at times, but no. And now that now I know there's a lot of drama kind of like in the I guess we're not calling it ITU anymore in the world triathlon world about potentially athletes bombing the individual race to focus on the relay or pulling out of the individual race. But you're not going to do that, right? No. Yeah. That's the talk. There's definitely talk of countries will do that. I mean, you look at some of the teams, you can see there's domestiques prepared Mm -hmm. and people have been selected to help maybe someone in individual race. I mean, the only way I would say like be cautious is like, let's the only difference now with the mindset of this relay going on is like, let's say I'm in the 20th place right now. I may not kill myself to the line to get 21st while I might actually be like relaxed a bit more and maybe end up 23rd because I'm saving some gears for the relay. That's the only way. But if you're in the top 15 plus, like and higher up, you're going to go to the line and do what you're you are. Going so I'm going in an individual race, full in, no intent of um, see what the see what turns up and hopefully put together a really good performance. But then again, like we are mindful and have communication that it's like if it's not our day and we're just struggling a bit prepare yourself to actually maybe not dig yourself that hole to fight to the line for 21st and just be accepting. Okay. I'll probably gonna be 23rd, 24th, but we've got a huge medal opportunity in five days time. We have to be ready for So don't drill yourself in the heat to almost pass out and get heat stroke. If you're still, you know, if you're almost out of it, so you'll calm down. So I think you'll see some of that as well, where there'll be a lot of like feedback within, I don't know. It's going to be interesting because it's very unique in this whole situation. Yeah, no, it'll be, uh, especially with the heat, especially with the recovery, for sure. Yeah. So let's talk about how you got into triathlon, because you, as opposed to, like, I mean, we talked to Morgan, and, you know, he started two years ago, but then you started when you were, like, the other is, like, nine, right? So you've been doing triathlon basically forever. How are you still, how do you still like it? How are you not burned out? Oh, I'm far from burnt out. It's like my pet, (laughs) it's I'm more thriving in it now than I almost ever have. I feel like that little kid again in it these last few years especially um i think now there's some backstories to why i'm still actually still in it more than maybe some just in the burnout stage just because i've been had to step away with some health things but i was pretty fortunate when i was young where i was a part of this kids triathlon team called multi-sport madness and ben knute was actually on it with me so we were I was gonna actually- say it's like uh, the suburbs of chicago why are you guys so good at triathlon like where <laughs> like so many people come out of this like junior elite squad yeah, I just think because the that was the one of the first like programs at the time. Now you see many of those and more programs and kids coming up through the ranks. But we were kind of that first edge of that like mindset of like you can do it when you're 10, 11. Now it's like still unique. You have to be careful of like not burnout and stuff. But I think my parents were really good at like making me like they were holding me back all the time at first. So like I was dying to go to practice. I always wanted to. And they're like, oh, like my punishment, like some kids would get punished with other ways. It was like, my punishment was you can't go to practice. Or <laughs> it wasn't, if something great happened or something wrong, I wasn't allowed to go to practice. So it was kind of like a situation of that helped keep me involved in it. And then this kids team environment that was started by Keith Dixon um, outside the Chicago area. He started this program called Multisport Madness. And we just kind of built our like, 
just all this, like all these local kids would get together and do triathlon and we'd get at this local park and three times a week and we'd bike and run and do the mess around the transition stuff and just have fun. And then start, it just started from racing locally, little races to then like, like kind of like Midwestern side. And then we started racing nationally. And then, you know, you just keep advancing through the program and then it kind of just ended up now I'm here. So when does junior elites get like really serious? Like when does it go from, you know, just like a bunch of kids to like, oh, okay, you could be an Olympian. Um, yeah. I mean, once you hit junior elites, things become a little bit more like, oh, wow. Like youth elites. It's funny because every time when you're a kid, it's like people are, you always think that race is the most important biggest race. Right. It's like, that's the biggest thing. And people will tell you, you won't remember that race, but you remember some moments. And you're like, yeah, right. This is the most important <laughs> race. Now this youth elite nationals at 12 years, at 14 years old is the most important race of my life. And you just don't understand. But then it's like, you look back now and you're like, oh yeah, no, I don't even remember where I ended up on that race. But I actually <laughs> remember messing around with my buddies in this hotel room and breaking this elevator, like a story like that. That's actually more of what I remember. Um, but yeah, I would say once I was like 16, 17 is when it like really started to shift where I was like, oh, hmm. then you can start making world teams. And then that's when you can go and race the best in the world. And then you're starting to race on the same stage as these elites that you're watching, the professionals. So you're racing on the same courses like the Javier Gomez is the, like all those kind of style people, the Brownleys in different levels. So that's where it starts to switch. And I'd say by 17 um, is when I was like, Oh wow, I can really make it in the sport when I um, was fourth in the world that year as a junior. Mm -hmm. So I was like, Oh, okay. This is kind of more of like, it was a dream that I was like, Oh, this is my goal to do this. But now I'm like, it's kind of becoming more a possibility. So like historically the U S women's team has come from the college recruitment program, right? They like, recruit like summer's runners out of college. And now yeah. this year it's like a mix, right? It's like some college recruitment people, some junior elite people, which one do you think is like the better way to go? You know, I don't think, I wouldn't say there's a better way. It's just the way of how it works for each person. Cause I mean, you've seen kids who are superstars and they're young in triathlon and don't surface to anything. I think it's just like, the right upbringing and it's a lot of it's just like comes down to the right mindset and the person having the drive and passion to do it in their way and not uh, and believing that they can in that sense i don't think mm -hmm. i wouldn't say there's one right way or the other i'd say but i mean the the thing why i think now you're seeing some more of these guys coming in is like like morgan for example had a swim background and it's like right he didn't just have a swim background he came back i mean i was there on the right when he started triathlon in 2017 and he was in the fall and i was like I told my, our coach at that time, we're in different people now, but I was just like, it's like, this kid's going to make it like this kid has it factor. Cause I'd seen like, I'd actually trained with Katie. I was there with Katie's first swim, Summer's first swim, like Kirsten Casper, Renee Tom, all these people. I was there when they came up through this collegiate recruitment program and I was, could see the mindset and what they do. And Morgan just resembled exactly what they had. And then he just hmm. come, he'd rip this one swim practice. And I was like, yeah, I haven't seen any boy come through the program yet that has done something like that. So that was where, like, that part through. But his mindset, he had a very similar mindset to how Katie and them did. They weren't afraid of anything. They weren't afraid of other athletes. And they didn't put anyone up better. They're like, well, I can swim in the sky. So, and he's, like, world champion. So now I can bike with him, and I'm going to get better running because I'm actually a good runner. And it just, like, and that's how Katie and them did. She'd go up to a race, and she, like, won her first World Cup, like, just right out of the gate. And it's just, she didn't know. She's like, I'm just going to go race. I don't care who this big name is next to me. Let's right. 
Yeah, I mean, that's interesting because you think it's that because obviously like the U.S. women have been super good and there's a lot of reasons for that in Title IX and everything. But you think that's what's like shifting with the U.S. men now is like the mindset? Yes, I think the mindset that we're just now starting to believe, okay, we are. And I think we have a good camaraderie amongst us all, too. I think that's something that's changed maybe from the past. It's like we're all we're all buddies. We're all cheering for each other. We're all like starting to lift each other up. And yeah, we all want to beat each other, but we're not ultimately it's not like we're sitting there and being like, oh, I was top American today. Yes. But in the end of the day, we were still 23rd. Like that sucks. We're going to be, we're all of us are going to be disappointed if we're that now. Like none of us care about being like the first American. Sure. It's not, but that's not our goal. Our goal is to be the first in the race or like right. in that race and really like comparing against the internationals, but not racing each other, but trying to beat the French, beat the British, beat the Spanish and all those type of guys. So we've changed the mindset and we're all just kind of like, we've all been starting to train together more as a whole and be at training camps together. And there's just a better vibe camaraderie of just like belief and lifting each other up than trying to like take each other down or outwit each other in a race or kind of sabotage someone or get in their mind. Oh no, were you sabotaging people before? No, I'm not. I'm I'm just saying like there could be more like drama stuff with the situation. And it's more just like, uh, I'm not like we all go out to meals together at the races. We're all like we're all friends. Like it's not like we're just going right. to the race and have to be put up with each other to put on a face. It's like no, we actually enjoy each other. So, well, that's always good. Yeah, you have to so spend so much time together. Good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'd hope that. I mean, you never know. So. <laughs> you mentioned obviously the part of the reason you're not burned out probably is because you had to step away from it for a while, and it's like pretty. Well, I mean, we've done stories about it, you before. Pretty well known that you had Hodgkin's lymphoma, kind of right after you went pro like you went pro and you got diagnosed like what the next day i think yeah literally like the next day so like that was my final year as a junior racing so mm-hmm. that year my goal was to win the junior world title and i was definitely on form and on pace to do that so it was like i'd gotten third the year before i made huge gains that winter put in some good investments and stuff and i like went to my first pro race and surpassed all my expectations and other people's expectations on that. And I wasn't trying to go just pro, just to race pro. It was more just to get some experience at a higher level to prepare me for the junior world. So to just get handed to on how these guys race and this thing. So then I'm prepared oh. to race my peers and my age. Um, yeah. So I went there, did really well. And then I went home that night and my mom's a nurse. And so she detected this like lump in my throat, saw it with my shirt hanging down. And she's like, I guess she didn't sleep that night. I had no idea. But then the next day she oh. said, we're going into my office. And like her, where she works at and one of the doctors assessed me, did ultrasound and like, we need to go get an MRI. And then the next day, that's where the news broke that they were tumors. And so then I had, we didn't know at the time what it was. We just knew it was a form of cancer, probably a lymphoma. And then when we, then we went in two days later for biopsy and it was Hodgkin's lymphoma, which is weird. We were celebrating that because at least it was very straightforward because non-Hodgkin's right. is tougher to balance. So like huh. Hodgkin's, at least we knew it's like, it's going to suck. Like the whole chemo, everything is going to be super intense, but the cure rate's 95%. I'll get through it. So it kind of, my mindset had the shift from having the goal that year to win junior worlds and really like enjoy my final year as a senior in high school too, to beating cancer. So I just shifted it. So you based, I mean, you were in the chemo for like six months and I'm assuming, I mean, I'm assuming you basically like didn't train then, right? Like you just... Didn't. This is the weird. This is the. I really push boundaries. I made my mom <laughs> sick. I was very stubborn. I the doctors were. They still say today, and now it's actually cool. Now, like them, just like some of them had reached out after I was made the team, and they're just like amazed, just where it's come and how far I've come hmm. through it. You just put a lot of the complications that came after, but like 
and they were actually joking with my mom recently, just like, like every time he would come in, because I, I got chemo every other Monday. So, and then before my chemo, I'd have to get assessed of like what my weight was at, where like my vitals were. And they would talk about like how I'd been feeling and different stuff and get blood work before I'd get the chemo to make sure my numbers were tolerable to be able to get it. And I'd come in every time and have these crazy stories with them. And like one time I did like three months into my chemo. Well, for example, like when I get chemo the first month or two, I'd actually go and get chemo. And then I'd go to my kids' try practice and run with them and run eight miles and then do something normal. And I was like, but then that was short-lived because then I eventually got pretty, I remember doing one run and I was like, oh my gosh, I just got so sick and had to right. walk. And then it went from like kind of doing practices and getting some normalcy to like getting chemo and I'd be home for two days. And by the end of that six months, I'd literally go get chemo go home, be in bed, be sick. And I wouldn't eat anything for two days. So I get chemo on when, Monday morning. First thing of food I would eat was Wednesday morning. And it was like mm. just miserable at that point. But then I'd rebound because I'd have a week off chemo. So then I'd actually do more. So I actually, we had with one of the chemos I got, it was like a bleomycin and it, we'd check your lungs. And I, we were doing lung tests to make sure it was good. And like, I was went in one day and we found out there was a shortage. So we were going to do it. He's like, I think we might not have to do that. And I was like, oh, well, the other day in practice, I did a bet with someone and I swam underwater 50 meters, no breath. And, he and they like, were like, <laughs> he's like, he's like, first off, he's like, you're not supposed to be swimming with your port. He's like, I did not know you were swimming. So he looks over at my mom and she's like, well, yeah, I know. Like, cause I have infection rates of stuff, but then right. he let it go. He just laughed. And then he's like, well, clearly we don't need to do any more lung tests because you just swam across a 50 meter pool underwater no breath so your lungs are doing all right so right you're, like, you're probably okay yeah 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 and i like would do other like crazy training stuff sometimes with like some people on my off days but i'd pay for it then sometimes when i'd go in for my treatment because i'd right. wear my body down more but for me it was a mental keeping some normalcy within it all but i mean after you're recovered though you eventually like it took a while to get back to real training right like there were ups and downs there were ups and downs. Yes. So I actually, well, I came back and I jumped right back into normal training. Right. And that was my biggest mistake that, okay. I mean, no one knows because they don't know what, like coming back from cancer into a sport and like the situation. <laughs> I don't think there's like a, I don't think there was like a large population of people no. doing that. No. <laughs> I, I look back now and like one thing I have actually had an aha moment on like this last year was kind of like, so Lance Armstrong got cancer. Uh, mm -hmm. but came back and won the tour a year later. So I looked at that and that was like when I went through my cancer, everything that's before the full news came out of all the drugs sure. he did and him, all that whole situation. So at that point I was like, well, Lance did it. I can do it too. Like I'm an athlete. I'm an elite athlete. I was competitive. Like I can get back to elite racing in the next year and be racing competitively. So I had that mindset. Well, then we learned he had all these, he was taking testosterone and hormones and all right. blood dope, all this stuff. And it's like, so for me, obviously I'm not, I'm not taking any of that coming back. I mean, clearly like, but, <laughs> like so I, I kept breaking down. So I would race and I'd actually get to pretty good fitness, but then I'd break down and my body would shut down and then I'd get back up huh. and shut down. And like years later we learned like it was, my hormones were completely out of balance. I didn't let myself recover. Like my testosterone was zero. Like, everything was just destroyed after chemo, bone marrow, everything. Cause it just hmm. completely wipes you out to zero to get rid of the disease, to get rid of cancer. Um, so while he was taking those drug stuff that boosted everything back up and that's why he was Superman back right away. It's hmm. like, I have to let, it takes time. And I wasn't giving myself 
like I wish now looking back, I mean, you learn. And so I wouldn't say wish, but I would give people advice after going through extreme chemo like that is go back to being normal and just live and maybe do like little bits of activity, but don't try to get back to your step was where you were pre-cancer because it's just, it beats down your body. And I didn't give myself a body. I never put the weight back on until it's crazy. Actually, until this last year, I was, I'm finally back to a weight that I was pre-cancer. And that was really, and it's been like, it's six years? Ten years. Ten years. Yeah, oh, man. Ten years. So, but I would say about three years ago is when I actually surpassed my weight that I was mm-hmm. pre-cancer because I just would always try to come back and I wouldn't allow my body to recover. So when I was 26, uh, two years ago, I actually went through a little growth spurt and then put on about five kilos of like muscle mass and everything, like fini- kind of finished my puberty because it was like at 18. You're like still going through it. And my chemo kind of like stopped everything and stunted stuff. And then I came back to elite racing and pushed everything so hard that my body never fully got absorbed, like and reheal itself. So once I took a bit more time reset, and then I got nutritional stuff better that I wasn't great on for a period of time either. Um, Like just a lot of things started to come together. And then, yeah, two years ago, it was like kind of like this switch. And that's now where I feel this resurgence of, the aha moment kind of stuff. It so it took you like five years or something to kind of like like cut, really come back to sport, right? Like you basically thought you were going to quit for a while. You thought you were done. Yeah, it took a while. Yeah, it took a while. That's something I always think is like I had. I was telling someone the other day. I was like, there were three moments in this last ten years where I was like just ready to hang it up. I was about mm-hmm. done. People talked me into saying because I was just like. I can't do this anymore. This is 2013 was one of them because I just like had about, that was about two years after my stuff. I just had so many roller coasters. I was mentally worn out of trying to fight and get back to stuff when things kept breaking down. Like I just have a good result, but then things go. So that was the first one. And then 2016, when I missed the Rio team, that Mm -hmm. one really stung as well. Cause in 2015, I was rolling pretty well. And then in 2016, I got sick. I picked up a little injury and then I just like had some poor, fortunate situations and didn't make the team. And that one rocked me a bit because at that point I'm 24, which is still young, but you're also like, you see your peers graduating college, starting to like get real jobs, be normal and like start to like some are getting married. Like it's just this whole, like they're moving on in the next phase of life. And you're like, am I just messing around with this right now? Right. Just what I'm doing to go like, I'm like, that was such a hard grind this last one. And it's only going to get harder, but I then was like, let's give it another go. So I gave it another go, had some good races. And then 2018, I had one more hurdle that was just about, I just had a rotten ring of effects of like, I became anemic, had some other health Hmm. situation stuff, picked up a little injury there. And I was just like, I just think my body just can't handle this stuff. I think I'm about done. And so my parents and some friends were just like, give it one more year, just one more year, 2019. And then you can walk away. You're just, you've had some good glimpses and you're doing better and you're on the up and boy am i glad they said that because that (laughs) had the it was like a light a switch and things started to happen and i learned more about myself i was more accepting of all i'd been through and what i just like i allowed myself to say think like okay yeah i'm not just gonna be like a normal person like i have to be more careful in training in situations i have to be more sensitive we have to check blood works at times because Mm. My immune system isn't as strong. I just have to look after myself a little bit more. I have to be very diligent on nutrition. If I slip on nutrition and don't eat right or skimp on stuff, it's going to backfire on me very, very hard. It will on most people, but especially me. So I work 
really hard with the um, nutrition I work with, Liz Busco, and she's been probably one of my most influential people these last few years to get me to hmm. where I am as from a health situation to be as robust as I am now. That's interesting. I've had some friends too who were like, oh man, I'm ready. I'm to quit. I'm done. I'm done. And, you know, they were convinced like, just give it one more. And then they go and like win, you know, their first Ironman or whatever. What I wonder what it is about that. Like, oh, I'm done. And then like, just give it one more year, one more. Yeah. I just think it's like, that's also though too, where it's like, sometimes like you just get in your own head, but other mm -hmm. people aren't in your head. Like, and you're just, sometimes you're just too emotional, you know, you're just like right. too in it and you're so hard on yourself. And you're, it's always said you're your own worst critic. And I was just like, this is just stupid. I'm not progressing. I'm just wasting my time around in this bit. I'm always just, just average person, not competing at these levels <laughs> that I want to compete at. I'm, and then it's like, there's, and then 20, I was 27 at the time, 26. And I was just like, ah, oh, like, like I could, didn't where I, this isn't where I envisioned myself. Even when I was coming back through cancer, it just wasn't the pros straightforward line that I thought I was going to get. It was this massive roller coaster. So, um, yeah, but I just think people, the out, that's where it's like having the team around you and those people coming in, it's just like, they see it sometimes when you can't in these dark moments. So they're like, get you out of that mindset. And then you start to just not overthink things. That's what I started out to do, overthink things and just try to go back to the simplicity of having fun with stuff. And that's when things started to change. Okay. What is, what is fun? What like makes it fun? What's like the most fun workout part of triathlon? You know, it's weird. Like it's just getting out and training with some of your buddies, like different <laughs> sessions. And it's like matching up with people. So for example, the other day to this last day, I was, did a session with Morgan and Chase McQueen. And, um, we like, we did this run workout and it was like, it's pretty aggressive. It was pretty hard. And I was just, but I was loving it and I was suffering hard. And then like I go and, and then I go to the pool and do this like full on set with Flora, Chelsea, Joanna, and her husband, Dan is there like helping with all the times. And then that evening I do the Boulder, I did the bus stop, the famous bus stop Boulder ride here. So I went and hopped in with that with Morgan and Chase and we just had a ball out there. And I mean, it's like five hours of training, but I finished the day. I was like, that was the most easy, fun, hard day I've had in ages. And it kind of is like that. It's like just when you get to go out with buddies or mix it up with different friends to push yourself, but then also just have a good time with it. It's like, that's, that's the time when you're just like, yeah, this is fun. And so I was you're like, right. the most recent fun for me, which said people are like, why would that be fun? You're running this, but like pushing yourself to this, but you're just having a good time doing it. So. Yeah. I was asking, I like, I asked Morgan this cause I find it interesting. Like, Cause obviously in Boulder, like everyone's an Olympian, right? But like, I find it interesting, like which people end up training together, like which little groups form. Cause there are like, you have the same little, like five, six people. And then other people have their, their people. How does that happen? I just think you start to like see how people train and you start to match huh. stuff up. And yeah. so before this last year, I made a coaching change. Before that, I was in a, a squad environment. And I've always grown up in a squad environment and been with a team where it's like, you are in the same group under the same coach and you are doing all your sessions together and that's your bubble. But this last year, I kind of was like, I wanted to, I needed a change. There was just stuff that I just, I needed out, I needed a change. And I'm very like, and so that's why I went with Nate and it's a very much more individual approach. But my mindset was, I want to be able to have this ability to hop in with different groups because I enjoy mixing it up with different people and it keeps things fresh. So I would at times when over the winter, I was training with Ian O'Brien's group at times. And then a couple of Canadians like Matt Sharp, I was training with him at one point. And then it's like, oh, I was in Colorado Springs and I was actually training with Andy Potts and a few other people 
in Colorado Springs area and even lapping over with the para tri team there because we would be at the same pool and you just have fun with the group. And now it's like I'm in Boulder matching up with another group of people that are all like-minded and have similar goals. So it's actually, I just love it. It's like the social aspect of that side where you can yeah, still have funny. it, but then push on as a whole. So yeah, it is, but there are the groups and there are all the posses and some people <laughs> are very great knit with it, but I'm trying to find a way to like whizzle into bits and hopefully I can keep it lighthearted. Like I, they see I'm not coming in trying to be that flexor, you know, the, the winning in practice mindset or the one right. they're trying to like out, out finish you at the line or say, hi, I beat you on that one. I'm the best one today. Like that's not my mindset. It's more, I just want to go there and have fun with it. And if someone's better on that day, awesome. But I got pushed and I will improve there. And then maybe the next day I'm the one in there, but it's, I'm not. So I think that's why it's like, I'm able to hop in with different people. Interesting. So you made a coaching change last year. What other changes? And you know, obviously you said you kind of changed your, your mindset, you've changed your diet. What other changes do you think really made a big difference um, in the last couple of years? Um, I think, honestly, one of the big things for me was the belief factor um, okay. and just believing I was going to be able there. I think one thing like I was said with like the Morgan and the Katie's and all those people that I kind of had this moment was like, they they didn't grow up in the sport. I grew up in the sport. So I grew up with these audiences, like watching these people like the Javier Gomez's, the Brownlees, and like just right. all, these, like, all these top athletes. And then now all of a sudden I find myself, I'm racing them. But I still in my mind was thinking, oh, they're the, I still felt like this little 12, like 14 year old kid right. racing these guys. And it's like, no, I've earned myself to be here. I can be here. This isn't just by chance that I just get this opportunity just to, it's not like there's like, oh, you just get to go on the start line now because you just get, here's your lottery to go win. It's like, no, I've earned my way and my way to get up there. And then I went from like, oh, I can compete with these guys. These aren't, they're just average. They're not, they're no different than me. Yeah, they've got these titles and these, these success, but I can compete with these guys. And last year in Italy was that kind of like aha moment with me there. It was like, I put myself in a situation where I, on the bike that I never would to bridge up to this group. I had a couple, I blew up at the end, but I like, was like, could taste. I was like, they're not, there's not that much different between me and them. I can produce this. I can, like I can be at that level. So that was where I changed my mindset to not like mm. not putting people up on a pedestal or better than me on a start line. And that's where right. things just shift and not be afraid of someone. And it was even a uniqueness for me, even in Yokohama in, in May when I'm running alongside like Gustav and Vincent and like a lot of the other like Zaire and other guys in that league group on the coming down to the line. And I, when I went out at first on the the run, I was like, I'm going to blow up. I'm, I can't run with these guys. And I was like, no, you can, you've prepared for this. You're ready. And then I was like, let's just see how long you last. And like, then I was like, no, I'm actually feeling good. And I mean, they out kicked me down the line, but that was a big breakthrough for me where I was like, ah, oh, I can beat these guys and I know I can beat them on my day. So. Right. Huh. Cause you ended up 11th, right? I did. Ish. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was 11. There's a line. There's like six through 11th. We're all spaced by seconds. But Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, it was like this one big, I mean, that's the other thing yeah. in the men's races, right? Is everyone it's like so close together. Yeah. So. yeah. But yeah. It is a, yeah, it's an interesting question how you convince yourself that you, uh, especially if you like, yeah, if you saw Brownlee winning when you were a kid, how do you convince yourself you can beat him now? Yeah. And I, you know, who's another people I have to say, like one person who has like, she's on here is Kirsten Casper. She's mm -hmm. had like such a good mindset with me and her uh, fiance, Matt Sharp, 
I've roomed with them the last three years. And so there I'm very close with them. And she's been someone who's actually been very good for me and Matt as a whole and why I think we've progressed in the mental state as well. But she's like, Kevin, you're good. And you're better than like these people on this thing. You're just as good to be up there. Like don't sell yourself short. Don't cut yourself out of this position. Like you can go and do this. And she was one of the first to believe that I could go automatically mm-hmm. qualify myself a slot in Yokohama. And like, yeah, I got 11th, but I was really close to being in that capability. Right, you just need to be eighth, yeah. Yeah, I was in the realm of almost achieving it. Um, and so she was someone who has definitely had an impact on me at this moment of just like the belief factor as a peer. Like other people have said it and stuff and different people, but she had just trained alongside me from the like when she started the sport till now. And I'd, we'd been so gotten so close and she's seen me the work I'd done and everything and watch the racing and starting to really learn it as a student of the sport. And she's like, you're producing just as much stuff as I'm in sessions now. So go do it on the course. You're no different. There you go. <laughs> See? Simply said. Yeah. She says it's simply said, but that's what makes her so good too. She's gone in that mindset. She's not afraid. Like I've seen her like just do stuff. So yeah, it's, it's cool. So what are you doing to get ready for Tokyo then? I mean, obviously you're, you're in Boulder. You guys are doing, Lots of fun, but hard workouts. You got your mindset on. Are you doing heat prep? Like, what are you studying? Are you watching tape? That's always my favorite. What are you doing to get we ready? We actually have looked at some course stuff, and we've actually got some people helping us um, who are, like, setting up the course and how it works and places where you can move up, different things and dynamics mm-hmm. and how it could be run. I mean, because there's a good odds it will be a wet race, and it could, it could be raining and stuff on us. and like, mm. Or it could be a hot race and you just don't know. So prepared for all mindsets and that. But yeah, I'm starting to do heat prep. Uh, I think in 2019, I actually went, I can be a bit like sometimes too intense on some of those stuff. And so I actually think I burnt myself before the 2019 test event by doing too much heat prep. So that's where Nate has actually been very smart with like timing the sessions on when to do it. And I'm not going to like, I ultimately need to be there and go really be really fit. So we're working on just making sure I'm as fit as can be, but also like, so like today I did a hot, hot swim. So I had a wetsuit and thermal cap in the pool and did a full workout just so it's like pretty uncomfortable, but you're just trying to just like get that sensation of the heat. And the other day, I, like Flora's house, they have a heat chamber set up. So I was actually running on the treadmill there and it got, it actually got a little too toasty. So we are adjusting it next time I do it. But uh, <laughs> yeah, so yeah, we're definitely doing realms of that. And I've actually had like access to like the Olympic training center to the Hatsi. So they set it to like a humidity environment and they can actually change the temperatures in there. So like just to expose me to that. So we're just, he has a plan mapped out. So I'm just following it and how he does with like timing of what days to do the heat session, when to do it. And it's also tough sometimes. It's like, now, I was running the other day in the treadmill, like in the heat thing. I was like 99% of people would help think this is the worst thing ever. Cause I was suffering and I was like, this is just, no, there's nothing fun about it. Cause then you're like, no. Once you finish, it's like naturally you want to chug water and drink right away because you're so thirsty and everything. But you're supposed to really like slowly hydrate back because if you replenish fully, it just messes up some stuff, like some of your, how you react to the heat. So it's like you have to play this discipline to slowly sip the hydration back. And then after the hour mark, you can start to drink more and get electrolytes. Oh, really? I don't think I knew that. I've never heard that. Yeah, it's something with like your kidney effects and it can shut your adrenal down or something where it's like, you want the full maximum benefit. You need to slowly rehydrate, but also that should be your last session of the day because you're pretty cooked after <laughs> and timed well within. And that's where you have to be careful not to do too many. So a few go a long ways is what we've started to learn. 
Yeah, it's like because I I would have thought if you chug too quickly, basically you're just gonna throw it up. That's, that's yeah. the other problem. I mean, that could be the thing, and then you just feel sick, and your stomach is this, and then you're right. every it's just a disaster, and you're just a mess. But yeah, so so you're okay. So you are heat prepping, and you said I mean you're in Colorado right now. Mm-hmm. I don't think you're going back to Arizona, right? You're you're pretty much here t- through Tokyo. Correct. Yeah, we're gonna be here. Okay. So we were originally had like a plan to maybe do a staging camp in Japan before the race, but because of all COVID stuff, getting right. Japan, that got canceled. Um, so there was talk, maybe I would go somewhere like down sea level, but it's just like, I've been up at in Colorado so long now, this last like two years and everything that I'm more used to it up here. It's a familiar setting. Let's not change things up. Let's keep it simple. It worked well with me going over to Yokohama when we did the timing wise and we had a good uh, lead in there. So we're kind of trying to, replicate a lot of that stuff with some extra like taking some stuff stepping up but also then i'll be more heat prepped going into this one than i was in the um, does it feel i mean like obviously you've been doing this since you were 10 years old or whatever and you finally made the olympics you're going to the olympics but it's like the weirdest olympics ever right does it still feel like worth it is it still like oh yeah i made the olympics or is it kind of like damn this isn't what i dreamed no i think it's totally worth it because it's still happening you know and it's still like still going to be racing on the biggest stage with the same people end of the day. It's like still like a similar concept. We're still going to be in the village. Like, yeah, all the extra hurrah fluff stuff is like that, but it's more just like going to there, this experience of it. And, um, I want to, I want to go there and perform. I mean, we got a team that really could go and like our contenders for the title. I mean, that's pretty cool. So I want to go there and perform individually, but mainly also as a team, because I think it's a very exciting situation. And also I've heard like, yeah, for the athletes, it's going to feel quite different on ground, but the viewers outside, it's not going to look much different from the games because they're still going to have like local fans, all this like, yeah, it's a bummer. A lot of my friends can't go, but it's the support that I've been getting from everyone has just been like, so incredible that it's like, um, not it's not i'm just not like oh, that's a waste or all oh, this is my olympics and this is what happened it's almost kind of cooler because you're a part of this history event it's ha- right. still happened through this COVID time and experience this and this i don't think this this hopefully this isn't my last hurrah like i actually think i'll be better come 2024 so i'm still definitely want to go for another olympics i mean it's still only three years away it's point two, so it's not like a full i guess uh, yeah, i don't know how many people are not going to go for it since it's only three years away so yeah yeah so that's where i'm just like okay and that's something my coach was awesome with me calling me the day before he gave me this call he's like hey kevin he's like i've been thinking about you i know you're probably nervous all this and he tried to distract my mind for a bit and he's like listen whatever happens if they tell you you're selected or not like on this team like we've done all this but he's like there's still so much low-hanging fruit with you that we can change and i'm excited about working with you because we've only started been together for like seven months at that point and he's like I think he's not, you're not some athlete that this is your only shot. You're wrung out right. and this is your last go at it. He's like, you're, we're going to keep progressing. There's so much more I can still do with you. I'm excited for what's to come still. So I believe you're going to get selected on this team. So let's think this, but he's like, if not, don't, don't think this is the, it, the end all. And I was like, so that was pretty cool to see and hear. So you think, okay. So you're still going to go for Paris 2024. You're not going to like, I know like some of the older Olympians, they're going to probably move up to 70.3 from here. And then who know, you know, transition, but you're not going to do that. What is your plan? Like, do you have like a, what are you going to do after Paris? Yeah, I definitely want to go long. So okay. I definitely okay. have ambitions to go long. Like there was talk of like, 
I mean, if I hadn't made this thing, I might've gone and done in 70.3, just given it a try just to do a few. I actually had a TT bike for last year in COVID in case maybe I did one. I like tried to get into Daytona, but in the end of the day, I was just like, I'm glad I didn't. There was, that's when I made a whole coaching change. I made a lot of right. new career adjustment stuff and I'm very thankful actually I didn't try to give it a go to go there because there just wasn't the right time in that situation at that point, even though it would have been a cool experience, but I'm not, I'm not ruling out that maybe next year I would give a go and do a 70.3 just to like give it a go or do something to go. But definitely after 2024, I want to really give a crack at the 70.3. Okay. So I actually think that's where a lot of my strengths lie. Yeah, I know. I mean, some of the people who, I mean, whatever the ITU or whatever we're calling it now, athletes move up to 70.3. Yeah. Like Gustav E did. I keep being like, dude, like <laughs> this is your thing. What are you yeah. doing? So <laughs> Well, it's still doing well in IT, but yeah, I think I think the world better watch. Well, I think there's going to be a huge crop of people who start to do the shift, and the it's just going to start to become more just like IT style versus. I mean, you're seeing it now. It's like the competitiveness is so much higher and it's so much more exciting, and I think it's drawing in more fans, and I think it's only going to be get better and better and improve the sport as a whole, which is amazing to see. For sure, and especially over here in the U.S., obviously, it's um. It's more spectators. So yeah, I mean, like the St. George one, like alone, like the hype on that one, the going in and how it went and how the drama went down with like, the, especially the men's race and the like, well, coming yeah. the line. I think we're going to see a lot more of that. That's but even Daytona. I think that's a glimpse of what's going to come once more people shift over. Because I mean, when you saw the lead changes and different people, I mean, Gustav yeah kind of took it off, but but from that second to tenth range, it, it changed so much within that last like right. Two which is pretty cool. So I think that's yeah, only no, it's cool. Forward. Yeah, that's crazy. All right, here's my last question for you. you ready? I understand you're sponsored by an ice cream company. Yes. And they named a flavor after you. What is the flavor? <laughs> it's called, yeah. It's so that they actually, it was really fun because like a few years ago, they created an ice cream for me. They said, Look, tell us your favorite like creation that you think would be cool. So I love carrot cake. So I was okay. like, you know, I haven't had a carrot. Like, I love a cake batter ice cream. I love like a cookies, like cookie dough ice cream. So I was like, let's do it. Can you make a cake batter? I mean, not a cake batter. Make a, um, a carrot cake ice cream for me. So they created a carrot cake ice cream and it was out of this world. So then they had a contest back home and they had name, like a name game. So everyone was trying to figure out, like create a name for this ice cream that was created for me. So the winner was Raising the Flag. So it's nice. called Raising the Flag. So, cause it's got raisins in it and it's like, but then it's Americanized cause of like, I was a traffic racing it for the U S so, and they had like Solid. the US flag on it and stuff. So raising the flag was the carrot cake ice cream that was created for me. So excellent. Yeah. You're like, see, see, not everybody has an ice cream named after them. So yeah, I know. I know. It's like, it's my secret treat. It's like, I used to actually back in the day used to be super strict with like no desserts, no nothing. And now it's like, I actually, I have ice cream most nights or some kind of sweets. And it's actually only helped me. I've been getting better. So, cause you need food. You See, need that's good. I have ice cream most nights. And my husband's like, you're not a serious athlete. So, you know, I'm going to no, tell him. No, every night, <laughs> every night I have some form of dessert or something. And some people are like, now people who know me are like, you do you used to never like you used to never have any of that stuff. And now it's like, now they love it. Cause it's like, yeah, I'm literally making like, I'll go out, grab ice cream somewhere, or I always have an ice cream in the fridge or some kind of <laughs> or something. So I definitely, have more of a healthy balance than maybe I did in the past. Cool. Well, thank you so much for chatting with us and good luck. Uh, I th I've heard, I've heard rumor that the whole relay team is getting like custom made error bars for the U S team. There's stuff in the works. It's pretty exciting. 
So uh, we're, we're going to be ready. We're, we definitely, I will say the U.S. will have no stone unturned by the time okay. we get there. So we're going to be putting up our fight to go for that gold. And to beat so the French. That's the key. Yes. Oh, yeah. We'll make like it happen. Cool. Well, good luck with everything. Hey, thank you. Thanks to Sid and to Kevin, and good luck to Kevin in Tokyo. We will be watching.